Welcome back, Link Up Podcast. We're here with Dr. April Jones and Raul. Hey. Uh, hey. April, do you want to introduce yourself to everybody? Hey, y'all. This is uh, the author of No Mess, No Message over here. And um, I'm a Tennessee girl. I uh, know these guys from living in the Memphis area for quite a while. And now I call Nashville home. But um, I'm a medical director in oncology. I got my PharmD, my MD, my MBA. I'm a mom of three boys and uh, try to stay as busy as possible. So how have you been dealing with this uh, lockdown that we've been going through? Oh, my gosh. Uh, you know, I can't complain for the most part. I am very blessed because... I'm in a job where I'm allowed to work from home and, you know, that's, that's kind of a first for me in my career. And, um, so I just, you know, started down, um, kind of a different career path about two years ago. So, you know, the timing has been, you know, I've been really fortunate with that. So I've been able to work from home. The kids are home. Everybody's healthy. Um, and it's just, uh, you know, it's just been kind of like, you know how some people say it's like being stuck in that Bill Murray movie, the Groundhog Day movie. I mean, oh, yeah. I feel like that a little bit. Like sometimes I have no idea what day of the week it is. And I would have thought by this point in the game, I would have like, you know, had this incredible, efficient schedule down where I'm like waking up and, you know, like having a workout and <laughs> getting on my computer. <laughs> yeah. Stopping and making lunch for the kids at specific time, like Betty Crocker style. And then, you know, like at just having it all together by now. And that, you know, as, as, as good as I am at multitasking, I have not done all that. So anyone out there listening, do not beat yourself up. If you do not have like all of your goals checked off by this point in quarantine. So what do you think, um, about everything starting to open back up slowly, but surely do you think it's too soon or just right or what? Um, you know, I mean, I, I think it's kind of uh, hard to say. I mean, we're inundated with a lot of different opinions and views and, you know, depending on the side of, you know, the fence that you're on or, you know, your expertise or background, I think everyone has different pressures um, in order to make the important decisions for everyone. And, you know, there's economic pressures and as well as, you know, the, uh, you know, a lot, having a lot of unknowns about the, you know, really the extent of, of the virus spread and, and things like that. You know, there's a lot of people that could have had it that weren't tested. And, you know, I think level of exposure, I, I feel like, the people who are in the positions to make those decisions are really just having to do the best that they can with the information and the expertise that they have. So I'm not criticizing. I will say my family, um, we are being cautious still. And um, my work is still, you know, has all of us on dedicated work from home, isolation um, and uh, through uh, really through the summer, um, pretty much. So I got you. Yeah. So like here locally in Memphis, we're, um, we're in phase two now. And, um, I think that means like 50% of, uh, 
occupancy in restaurants and bars and still no live music or, you know, it's got to definitely hurt the small business owner, I think. But then if it's not safe to open, you can't open, you know, there's no sense. Of, I think there's no sense of rushing it. And then if there's a big outbreak again and everything's shutting down, because if they shut down again, they're not going to open back up for a very long time, I think. You think that's kind of true? Like, you know, if they shut it down for, if they come in back and shut it down now, how long do you think they're going to shut it down for? Because we don't, as much as we've learned of COVID-19, we really still don't know really a lot of it because it's so new and that we're learning new things every single day with it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, I, I'm, ex- I'm encouraged by the fact that there is a lot of progress happening in terms of development and, you know, initiative. Um, a, a lot of things are moving more quickly than they normally would due to the sense of urgency. Um, but, you know, it's still important to be sure that, you know, medications are go- still go through those uh, checkpoints of ensuring safety and efficacy before we just, you know, release it out there. So I think that, um, listening to, you know, there's a lot of, of statements that have been released from um, leaders recently in the in the healthcare arena. And um, I think it's it's encouraging to hear um, their thoughts on on how quickly we're moving and the progress that's been made and the dedication that they're they're putting um, and finances that they're putting behind these potential treatments. I, I, in terms of the small business owners, I definitely agree with what you're saying. Um, and I would also say that even though a lot of businesses and even some businesses that are online only, while people might be do, doing the majority of their shopping online instead of in stores, still, though, I think there's a lot of hesitation about frivolous spending because, you know, there's just so much uncertainty right now with with different jobs and employers and even healthcare, which is typically been a stable environment, you know, you've seen a lot of, um, a lot of, you know, healthcare institutions impacted by all this. So it's, I think everyone is, has been affected in some way for sure. You know, I think it's kind of like what they say, people that save money are going to save money, especially during all this. And then the people that don't save money at all are still not going to save any money. Like, I feel like I see people buying TVs and stuff with their stimulus check they got, the 1200 you know, if you're single, and, like, I forget what it was if you're married, 2400 and it goes on per kid after that. Like, I mean, it's, it, you know, they, they were giving the money so they can spend it wherever they want, but, you know, I think, like, people should save that money and instead of buying that $1,000 TV, we might want you to buy groceries for the next four months if you're single or f- five months if you're single with that money instead. But, you know, I would save it. I wouldn't buy a TV right right off the bat with that money. What do you think about people spending the money on, like, just random Amazon purchases and stuff like that? Yeah, um, you're right. I mean, it's there's stuff. And I think that um, this situation probably has evoked some fear in, in some people where maybe it hasn't been before that they might change their habits. But then again, right. you know, habits die, habits die hard. And so I feel like even though there's a lot of nervousness, if you have a tendency to, 
you know, spend money as soon as you get it, then I would say you're probably right. It's going to be difficult to change that mindset. You know, it's like that quick cash, you know, and every shift of kind of like with a server, you know, like it's I'm not saying all servers don't save or all bartenders don't save, but like you that's that you make that such quick money so fast every single shift that it's kind of like, oh, it's going to be there tomorrow. It's going to be there tomorrow. You know, that's why I think a lot of my server friends and bartenders and service industry friends are struggling right now because, it was such good money every shift. And then when it when it shut down, they didn't have that extra, say, five six hundred dollars in the bank or whatever they needed, you know. And it just sucks. Yeah, it really does. I mean, you know, i I know that there are people that are very forward thinking and and planners and are really good about managing, making sure they have that that nest egg. But I would venture to say that for most people, you know, regardless is you know, I think even in every tier of income, there are still, you know, there's still people that live paycheck to paycheck. You know, I think so, uh, that saying with, you know, the bigger the check, the bigger the bills. And I, I, you know, I see that a, a lot, you know, and um, it's unfortunate and it's, you know, it would be nice to see that this is kind of maybe a wake up call um, for some to, for people to to realize that maybe some of the things that they prioritized before um, sh- could or should be shifted. Right. I just feel like some also like the poorer people, you know, like the people like making women minimum wage and stuff like that are the ones that are really going to su- still suffering. They were already like struggling to make bills and stuff before. And I can imagine with all this going on, it just seems like there should be help, more help for them, you know, like, Hey, we're going to, this bill is going to pay for your rent for the next five months or whatever, you know, if you're low income, you know, but not, not like everybody gets that because not everybody needs that. And there's going to be people that's going to take advantage of every system. You know, they're going to find a way to be part of that, you know, low income, if even they're not, it's just, it's just how it is. I think. What do you yeah, think? I know it is unfortunate. I think everyone feels like if we think about, you know, equality or equity in terms of, of if assistance is offered, right. And we say, okay, well, we're going to make this available to everyone and, you know, it's like a honor code or something like we say, OK, well, you know, if you have one hundred dollars and there's a hundred people, but really only 40 of those people needed it, then they're going to get more dollars. But if everyone just takes a dollar, how far is that? You know, that doesn't do very much. So, you know, it's just kind of the um, the rule of numbers. And uh, yeah, unfortunately, it's very hard. You know, that I'm sure it's very hard for the decision makers to determine because there are people in the different tiers that are are still hurting or still needing because their situation has drastically changed. But then there's some people in both tiers that maybe haven't, their situation hasn't changed very much where they're still able to work or still able to whatever. But the way that the rules are set is that they get money too, you know, and it's, it's um, unfortunately, I don't know that there's a great way to go about making sure that only, you know, that we allocate in the right way. So Right, because those people would be like, well, it was my taxes that paid for the low-income people's program, you know, so why don't I get it? Why don't I get any of my money back also is what they would argue with probably. I mean, it seems like that. Yeah, I um, I think that um, I I know that our, for most people, and I even share this in my book, you know, I have a, cha- a whole chapter on on being selfish <laughs> and how it's our nature to be True. selfish. But, you know, I'm hoping that potentially 
by the end of all this, that at least some people will will find um, the ability to, um, you know, have empathy for each other and um, and and learn that, you know, we're we're not so different. Like we all have we all have issues. We all have struggles. We all have fears. And, you know, especially a, a, a virus, like it's all going to affect us the same. And, and we should give each other, you know, we should we should all come together more than we do and, and, and be a helping hand to each other as much as we can. I agree with you. Like, I, I really hope during all this that we realize that what's important and what isn't important in life and that we're all humans and we all, like you said, have fears and, you know, we just need to cut the nonsense out so much and, you know, settle our differences. Absolutely. Yeah. So when you came up with the title, No Mess, No Message, Finding Strength and Struggle, Purpose and Pain, where did that come from? So that is actually an interesting story. And nobody ever asked me that. So thank you. Oh. <laughs> um, I originally, so originally when I thought, when I decided that I was going to write the book, I had it set on my heart that it was going to be called With a Grateful Heart. Because I felt like um, if I could say, you know, what's one of the, the major things that um, I can take away from what I went through, um, I think one of those um, key principles is that uh, the importance of, of uh, being able to continue to be grateful, despite, you know, the difficulties we've went through, if we're still here, that's, a, that's still an opportunity to to live, to do, to love, to be grateful. And, um, but when I was working, so I, when I started the process of publishing the book, I was working with, um, this company called book launchers for, to do the editing. And, um, the first editor that I have, um, he was like called my creative content editor and he read my manuscript and he was like, you know, I like your title, but if I were going to, if I didn't know, if I didn't know April's story, I didn't know what this book was about. And I was just sitting on a, on a shelf and I wanted the title to tell me exactly what this book is about. If you could sum up this whole entire book in one sentence, what would it be? And I, I just sat there. I was actually in the car. I remember it so vividly. I was in the car on the way back from Birmingham. I went down there on a work trip and I said, I just thought, and I said, you know what, like no mess, no message, you know, and that's really like the epitome of what my journey has been. Um, and then the subtitle came along um, just a few minutes after that. And, and I was like, you know, and what does that mean to me? No mess, no message means to me that you know, we find our strength in our, in our struggle and we find purpose in our pain and that's how we get through it. So. Mm, that's beautiful. That is so yeah. true. Like most people find their strength whenever they're struggling or their backs against the wall. I like that. It's kind of like that Rocky thing where, you know, you keep moving forward, even if you get knocked down you keep moving forward. So what was it like growing up in a small town? Oh my goodness. You know, it's good and bad. I'd say it was, um, it's a little painful though. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think that, uh, there's, 
now that I'm older and I'm still connected with people that s- decided to stay there, you know, like some of my dearest friends yeah. still, uh, still live there. I went, you know, my, my one friend in particular, she's been with me through this entire journey and we're still at, in extremely close. She's one of my very best friends and, you know, her life looks kind of similar to mine, but also so different. You know, we married, um, we both got married, right. Kind of right out of high school. Um, her husband went, was in the same graduating class as mine. Our, we always said when we were growing up, you know, we were five and we were like, when we grow up, we're going to get married to guys who are friends and we're going to have three, you know, two kids or three kids or whatever. And they're going to be the same age and they're going to be best friends like us. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and we did have three boys each and they're this in the same grades. Um, they're the same ages. And, um, but, you know, she decided to stay there and I left. And so, um, you know, definitely I feel like sometimes her life seems, you know, so kind of stable and picturesque and she still talks to the same people we talked to the whole time we grew up and connected with family much more closely than I am and things like that. And my life hasn't looked like that. But um, at the same time, I know that, I wouldn't be the person that I am if I hadn't kind of broken out of that box to realize that the the person that I was capable of becoming really had nothing to do with the people around me or their opinions of me or even the opportunities that were around me immediately. And it's been, you know, forming all of those diverse relationships that and, and being in all of these different settings that has really helped me grow so much. And I'm so appreciative of that. So if you could do it again, would you stay in the town or would you just continue on the path that you chose? Like if, if you knew everything you did now, would you stay in the small town or with your best friend? Oh, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> and, that was a quick answer. <laughs> back and visit you know i i actually we held our first event the drifted drum company we held our first event um i piloted it in in the small town where we grew up and and in a lot of ways um i felt uh a little hesitancy because i feel like i haven't been connected with the majority of those people from there for a long time but you know i felt like what did i you know what i needed when I was there was, you know, a fresh perspective, a a glimpse that everyone's the same. Um, You know, we just, we all have similar struggles. We just, you just don't, don't know. They can be your next door neighbor and you think you know everything about them and they're dealing with things you have no idea about. And, and I think it's very important to put down the judgment, put down the walls and, um, and, and just allow authentic connection because that's really where the growth comes from. And, and so we held our event there. We had, it was kind of like a nonprofit vendor fair. We had nonprofits come and talk about what they do because, you know, one of the things that you don't, you know, nonprofits often don't have a lot of resources for marketing. So I thought this would be a great way for people to figure out how to get plugged into um, helping others. And, uh, you know, a lot of times helping others is really helping ourselves as well. And, uh, I had speakers that were there and talked about like why, what they've went through that, um, you know, has impacted them so greatly 
um, but has become a platform for them to help other people. And I think it was a very, it was definitely a very positive, just soulful event. Now, do you think you were like a big fish in a small town? Is that the kind of mentality that you have? Uh, no, <laughs> no, I, um, I definitely feel I'm still, I still feel very, uh, you know, as, as much as I do as, or as much as I learn, the one thing that it definitely has taught me is that there's always more to learn. There's mm-hmm. always ways to improve and I still have a long ways to go. So I definitely keep my humility in check for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think like sometimes you do have to get away from what's comfortable mm-hmm. and there's nothing wrong with being comfortable, but if, if you have desires and a passion to do other things, sometimes stepping away is the best thing you can do and leaving the people that are, you know, the comfort people or your family or, you know, the friends that you've known to, you know, venture out to try something new. It's the only way to go. Yeah. Cause like there's some people I know that like, they've never left Memphis. You know, it's like, I don't know. That's just, I just know once, once I started traveling and seeing stuff, it, it just opened up my eyes that there's more to life than the everyday things that we were doing. And so I yeah, wish, absolutely. I wish some people could experience that. Like I know not everybody can afford to do it, but I just wish there was some way that, you know, you could let somebody get a glimpse of somebody else's perspective. Yeah. It's, I think it's, you know, I I have to say, so I've, I haven't lived outside the Southeast, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, like I've lived in Jackson, Mississippi. We've lived in the Memphis area. I grew up in a small town of West Tennessee, you know, we're now we're in, in Nashville. I spent a couple of years at the end of grad school in, um, in the Knoxville area. And I, I definitely know that, um, you know, meeting all those different people and just being in those different environments has, has helped, has helped me so much. And just to kind of, you know, not only figure out who I am, but also gain a greater appreciation for people, just people in general and experiences in general. And, um, and then of course with Tyler, my oldest son, um, which you guys know, um, having, (laughs) having his, uh, disability from, um, having cancer, he, that opened up, um, a whole new set of connections and contacts and, um, meeting people who are incredible athletes and have challenges like amputations or, you know, being paralyzed or muscular dystrophy or whatever that looks like that um, seeing their resilience and just seeing the things that they have went through and how far they've come to get to where they are, that has been a whole nother set of just eye-opening relationships that I just am so grateful for. Yeah. Like, do you, um, okay, so speaking on people that have disabilities and amputations or what have you, like, since you, you know, you know that firsthand because of your son, now, do you kind of, or I guess maybe that'd be more of a question for him, but like, does it make you realize how some of us take stuff for granted? 
like what like just on the outside looking in or on the outside looking out but we're able-bodied we have no physical ailments whatsoever and then you see these people that have missing limbs doing more than most able-bodied people are doing mm-hmm. like yeah i would say uh i would say it's twofold i think also being a cancer mom mm-hmm. um it makes you it definitely um changes your perspective and so it's harder to like as as much as I have empathy and love other people, it's there's also kind of like a line, I think, where I get that you're having a really difficult time because you don't have anything worse to compare that to. But like it could be so much worse. And I think the more the more the more people you expose yourself to so that you can keep like a good perspective that your world is is. Uh, you know, just like a small piece of a much bigger world that um, it really helps you deal with difficulties in a much more positive way. Because um, I think going through what we went through, where we almost lost Tyler, not only do when little things come up, like the kids have the flu or something, you know, it's not the end of the world. Like you can deal with this and we can move on. You know, there's even a time where, um, you know, I, when I see, um, even dealing with like him having surgery or dealing with things that are like him having to have nerve injections and these painful things, it breaks my heart for him to have to go through those things. But at the same time, he and I, um, both know that we are lucky because there are others that had similar diagnosis to him that didn't make it. So it's like, it just keeps, it keeps your reality more grounded, I think, so that we don't get wrapped up in our own self-pity. What exactly are the nerve injections that you speak of? Um, so Tyler's, rel- you know, he's relatively, he's an, a pretty athletic kid and he's, um, in a lot of ways, you know, he's very healthy. We are thankful, um, for, uh, you know, his, him being, I think he's 16 years this year, this February, he'll be 16 years cancer free. And, um, but you know, awesome. through that, I know I'm, I'm so, I'm so grateful. Um, So in general, like he's a very, he pushes himself, you know, very hard. So he's ran track and field, um, with the USA, uh, adaptive team. So he ran in Ireland. That was an incredible experience and he does rock climbing and he did his first, uh, he did his first, um, what do you call it? Uh, triathlon relay thing Hmm. in October he did, he was in, uh, he did a Paralympic uh, paratriathlon camp. And um, so he's, he's a very, uh, you know, driven, strong person, but also he's still, you know, the reality is when you have amputation, then sometimes there are things that become more challenging. It's, it's challenging for him to have both of his legs be, the same strength, you know, like not have not compensate on one side more than the other side. It's difficult for oh, okay. him to have long endurance. So like the, he's an incredibly fast sprinter, but 
the long runs are very hard on his body and his leg. And then um, he's recently had um, these nerve pains, like little bundles of nerves that kind of form and it gets inflammation around it within the leg. And so he has to have like injections down into those and you have to be sedated to do that and all of it. It's so, you know, I mean, as, as good as life can be, and definitely we never put out there like a feel sorry for me kind of persona. Um, because, you know, like I say, everyone deals with challenges and I think, um, it's, but it is important, you know, as you ask me these questions to remember that, um, yeah, life is still hard and, um, we, we still go through a lot. And I think that that's, that's part of, that's another way that you keep things in perspective. Yeah. I think that's like one of those things, like if, since I've never been through that, that's something you don't even take into consideration. Somebody's still dealing with, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of like what you just said, April, um, Everything that Tyler's doing, all those sporting events, there's people with, you know, all four limbs that aren't doing anything and they just eat watching TV and getting fatter and fatter and fatter. But like in the year year is this kid that, you know, had a lit uh, a leg card off and he's doing more than people his age and people my age, people, you know, everyone's age. It's just it's just amazing how strong that kid is. Thank you. And I, I think part of it is when you realize that, you know, whatever, if it, whether it's getting healthy or getting your finances in order or, you know, having healthy relationships, it's important to remember, like, we only are, we only get to be blessed here for a while and we don't know how long that's going to be. So if you want that to be a reality for you, then you have to put in the effort to make it happen now, not tomorrow. Yeah. That's so true. So can you tell us about, um, the first diagnosis or I know you, there was a incident with the sprinkler. Yeah. So when, so when the way that we found out that Tyler had cancer, uh, was really kind of, kind of crazy. Um, we were outside playing. It was a normal sunny day. Um, you know, it's pretty hot in the Memphis <laughs> area oh, in August. Nasty, nasty. <laughs> so when Tyler was, uh, he was almost two. And, um, so he was running around in the sprinkler in the yard and he kind of like stepped on it and he was like running and jumping over and he stepped on it and uh, like scraped his little foot, made him fall down. And he was like, you know, crying about it. And, um, and then, uh, and then it was fine. You know, I gave him some juice. We hung out, watched Spider-Man and, you know, all was good. And then um, we, two weeks, about two weeks later, maybe yeah, about a week or two weeks later, we were, I was, I was sitting, um, rocking him between studying and, uh, he was asleep and I was just like looking down at his little feet and like one of them looked puffy, kind of puffy. And I was like, Oh, I think that's the foot he hurt. And so like, I, I just squeezed it and there was like a little knot in there And I just had like, 
I don't know. You know, it's like when you just have that odd feeling like something's wrong and, you know, I didn't freak out. I just like called the doctor and I was like trying to figure out in my head, like, what could this be? Like, well, I hurt his foot. Maybe he had, maybe he has a cyst, like maybe he was inflamed or something. And, you know, it was not, it wasn't a big deal. Um, you know, the little wound wasn't even a big deal, but then I don't know. I was like, you know, I don't know. He has little feet. Maybe he had, he got a fracture and then he got, you know, maybe he had a fracture actually. And then he just got this assist or something around it. And I was like, uh, just thinking through all this possible scenarios. Cause I was in pharmacy school at the time. And, um, and so I called the pediatrician and she was actually, I had had this, uh, doctor, actually Dr. Dillinger, who was Dr. Dillinger. He was like, retiring so he was the pediatrician he he had just retired and so we had this new pediatrician and I only met her one time and she had just came back from maternity leave and she was like taking over his practice and she said you know like if it were my baby like I think I would have we need to do scans like just to be sure like I don't know what's going on exactly but you only get one set of feet and we have to just be thorough. We'll just make sure that everything's okay. I'm sure it's okay. So we really had a pretty quick turnaround. We went in and did an x-ray a couple of days later. He was due for shots anyway. So we just went in, we did the x-ray and it was so crazy because a soft tissue tumor doesn't necessarily show up on an x-ray. So you could just see like where his bone was just barely curved And that, and then when, so she was like, well, that's weird. So we can't really see it. Let's do, you know, we'll go and do a CT. So we went to have the CT scan. And when the scan came back, it was just like, you know, like a, like a peekaboo, like you just moved, you, you, the x-ray had nothing. And then you looked at the CT and there was this round little tumor just sitting right between the bones. And, um, so, you know, but then it went from there. We had an MRI, then we had a biopsy, then we had surgery, then a group, you know, so it was just like a roller coaster after that. So when the doc, when the doctor told you that your son has cancer and, you know, this is the only solution after you all tried a bunch of different things, what was going through yours and your husband's mind that, man, how did this happen? You know, like what is going on? Why my son, you know, like. What, what were your thoughts? Yeah. Um, well, you know, I really never, I really never knew any kids with cancer. I'd never really, actually, I'd never really known. Um, my grandmother had passed away from, from lung cancer when I had, was younger. And um, so I didn't have a lot of experience with cancer outside of it, you know, being really bad. And um you know, even when I think, especially like when you're a new parent, so to to put some perspective around it, I was only 22. So young. Yeah. So I was just trying, you know, I was just trying to figure out how to, how to be a grown up. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like I, I literally, you know, had just started paying bills. (laughs) And so like trying to be a mom, like was like one thing and also still be a full-time student. And then I had like a part-time job where I worked like at the Kroger pharmacy, like every other weekend or something. And, you know, like 
I was just trying to literally figure out how to be a grown up. So, you know, you're, I think for the most part, unless you have grown up with something very traumatic happening to you or, um, you know, being exposed to chronic illness yourself. Um, I think that you're just not prepared at for mo- the majority of people. I think are just regardless of what kind of setting you grow up in, you're just not very prepared for really major unexpected adversity like a cancer diagnosis or, or any type of diagnosis like that for your child. And it's like, I know you mentioned in your book, like uh, after you got the diagnosis that you like, even to this day, it kind of gives you a little bit of like shell shock or a PTSD. Yeah. Like, uh, cause I know you even mentioned before the, he was born or after he was born, I'm sorry, you kind of suffered with postpartum depression. So like all that just seems like a bunch of compounded stuff on, on somebody, like you said, that's 22 years old. You know, that's a lot to deal with. And I don't think a lot of people can understand, you know, one, having your child that you just had to have something so traumatic happen. And then just from the childbirth alone, you have, you know, you yourself go through these issues. So it's like, I don't know. um, How can you can you, I guess, explain that a little bit more like the feeling of the postpartum depression and the PTSD? Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, it's something I didn't acknowledge or really talk about for a long time. And it really wasn't until I think, you know, writing my book and and making a decision to look at like all of the ugliness and determine, you know, how I can still be a a positive, you know, a very positive person. And and I feel a resilient person. And, um, but in order to help other people, I have to acknowledge where I came from. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, definitely. I, you know, to be completely transparent, I wasn't really excited about getting pregnant at right before I turned 20. I was a double major in college. I was doing chemistry and biology and I had like very specific, career goals. And, um, you know, and I think part of it was that mentality of wanting to shoot for something that I felt like may not be attainable for someone who kind of grew up in a very humble background in a small town, you know, not a lot of exposure to a lot of different environments. I really wanted my new environment to be filled with the unknown. I wanted to live in a big city. You know, I wanted to live in Memphis. I wanted to do research at St. Jude. I wanted to cure cancer for all the kiddos. And, you know, I had no idea what that actually meant, actually, because I didn't know any kids with cancer, but it sounded like the best thing that you could possibly do. So first I found out I was pregnant. (laughs) Yeah. And then I was like, okay, well, how does this change things? Well, two months before I found out I was pregnant, I had gotten accepted to do, uh, to be, um, one of the few students. I think, um, there's just like a handful of students. I think at the time there were less than 50 of us, maybe 30. I don't even remember, but, um, they, they take, uh, applications from college students all over the country to come and intern 
um, they call them POEs, their professional oncology education program, to work at St. Jude for the summer in research labs. And I got chosen. And so I was so excited about that. And um, I then I found out I was pregnant. So the entire summer that I was doing research at St. Jude, I was pregnant. And I remember my friend Stephanie was in her last year. She was going to pre-med. She's actually an oncologist now, so I'm very proud of her. She's a pediatric oncologist. And, um, you know, we would eat lunch together every day. And you eat lunch in the cafeteria where all of these other people are that are, you know, have their kids there, their patients, the employees, um, you know, all these people have they eat in the same lunchroom. So I said to her one day, you know, one of the things being here makes me realize that like this could happen, like this literally has, you know, no cancer has no discrimination. You see all kinds of people there and from other countries, you know, all races, all types of dress. Like it, it really didn't seem to matter. Boys, girls, young teenagers, babies. It did like, it was just so, it was just something I'd never been exposed to before. And, um, so when, after I had Tyler and he came very early, I got preeclamptic and, um, he was eight weeks early. And so, um, he was three pounds and 14 ounces And, you know, I think realizing the fragility of life and I just kind of, I grew up just expecting that, you know, like, okay, you get pregnant, you have kids, it's not a big deal. Like you just figure out how to put them in your schedule and move along. Right. And I think like it made me realize the importance of him and the importance of his life. And, um, I think I really struggled with, um, kind of being depressed during that period where I was home, not necessarily, not because I was sad about being a mom, because at that point I realized how amazing he was and how much I loved him, but it was just because my life had changed so much and I didn't know how to prepare for that. Like being disconnected with my friends and they're all going about their college life and not being in class and I'm home all day. And like, that was really hard, but I think it was in retrospect, having that additional time with him and, and having that challenge really made when he got cancer, um, more, you know, like a little bit more manageable for me because I knew that like how important he was and it meant everything to me to spend, you know, like quality time with him and make the most of the little moments if I could. And, you know, just figure out, okay, this is my job now. Like being a mom is my first job, not being a student's my first job, not, you know, anything else, not figuring out where I need to go. Like that's the, those are secondarily important, but like my first job is being his mom. And, and so I think that if I hadn't went through those challenges, then I wouldn't have been, you know, you're never prepared to go through your child being diagnosed like that. But at least I felt like I had gained a little bit of resilience through the first episode. That's a lot. I mean, that's a lot. Yeah, that's it's amazing that you were so strong at such a young age to do all that. 
like I see so many moms that get, you know, I mean, women that get pregnant and they have all these dreams. And as soon as they get pregnant, they just abandon all of them because they had a baby. But look at you. You're a, you're a doctor. Oh, and it so. started when you were, what, 20? You started your medical, like you were being medical field when you were 20 when you decided, how old were you when you decided you were to be a doctor? Like as what you are now, oncologist. Um, let's see. I decided, you know, I, I graduated high school early. I think that was another thing that went back to really um, just needing a change, just needing to know like there's a world outside of what I saw. And I, um, so I think, and honestly, even though I got married early, it was Billy who encouraged me and like really said, you know, like you're smart. <laughs> like, you know, there's like, no lie there. He was just so, thank you. He was just so supportive of like believing in me. And I think it helped me believe in myself more because I don't feel like I really had had that so much up until that point. And I, um, so I think that him pushing me really helped me. And then to me, it wasn't a choice. So like, and I want to really encourage the other like young moms and I've always done this, like even in pharmacy school, like I did, um, I was able, I was fortunate to talk to one of the, the classes at one of the high schools, um, of that they had a class for pregnant moms and, um, of girls that were still in high school. And, you know, that's what I told them. I was like, listen, you know, you can do anything that you set your mind to just, you know, because I, this is not just, it's, it's even more important because at that point, it's not just for you. It's right. for this child. And not only will whatever you do to help improve your life, help this child's life, but you're also going to set an example for them to go by. And, um, and, and it's not a choice, you know, like, and for me, even when Tyler got diagnosed, like it wasn't even it, what it didn't even register for me that I would have a choice of stepping back and taking a year off or, or to me, I was just like, I'm not quitting. Like this is like, it's, it's important for me to be a mom number one, but I can do this other, like I am capable. I'm going to do this. And it wasn't like a question. It was just like, this is the goal and this is what you have to do to get there. And I, and I, I hope that other people will see in my story that, you know, it does, you know, if you get pregnant, you know what, you move, you move on, you, you pivot. If you, you know, if, um, you have, um, you know, you're dealt with, with medical issues, you know what, that really sucks. And sometimes we feel horrible and sometimes we have to figure out how to do things a different way. You know, like with Tyler, like sometimes you have to figure out how to do things a different way, um, to be able to accommodate it, but it doesn't mean that you stop reaching for your goals. Now, I, I, I did see that you said that uh, Tyler was your motivation, but before that, it, you must have been a pretty driven person even before his, uh, his birth and, you know, obviously the issues he had. Mm-hmm. Where do you think that came from? I think that, um, so sometimes it's, uh, I'm hesitant Sometimes I find myself be hesitant um, in this conversation. I'm such an open book, um, and I I worry sometimes about 
um, I don't know, hurting my mom's feelings. I don't want her to, to take it in a bad way because yeah. uh, I don't mean it in a bad way. But part of it was when I saw, um, so my mom, when my, my mom and my dad got married uh, around the age of 20, you know, like back then it wasn't that uncommon or whatever to get, get married early. And, um, and I, she didn't finish college and she didn't pursue a lot of, uh, you know, like, a, like she's an artist. She's an amazing artist. Actually, she's a portrait artist and her, her artwork looks like photographs. It's amazing. Wow, wow. And, um, yeah. And I'm, I'm so respectful of her talent. Like she has God given talent. I'm so respectful of that. Um, and so she does incredible things, but I felt like, um, at the time, you know, like she made sacrifices for herself and her career to be a stay at home mom. And she leaned on my dad, you know, like she relied on him because that was kind of like, I guess in her generation also, you know, that was a normal kind of scenario. Like that was a family, that was a normal family dynamic. And I think for me when, so when I talk about in my book about um, my dad having an affair, my parents got a divorce and, um, and I, I felt like in a lot of ways it was like a complete, it didn't just, it wasn't just a marriage that ended to it's like, it completely disrupted everything about her life. You know, it really shook her because I felt like a lot of her confidence was kind of um, built around this life that they had built together. And so maybe she, now that I look back, I feel like I can see that a lot of who she was, was tied into that. And it wasn't necessarily that, um, you know, you know, that was kind of like her career goal in, in ways, I think, now that I think about it, you know, and I, so when they got a divorce, it was so disruptive for her and she took it really hard. And I think for me, I didn't want to feel like I had to rely on anyone else for anything or, or to believe in, I didn't want anyone else's opinions about me to define what I was capable of or who I was. And, um, and it, it, it pushed me, I think, to be very driven. I didn't want to be the victim. Yeah. I think. Like definitely can see how that would be like if, like you said, you don't want to knock your mom, but you also can see the the path that happened to her. And that's not something that if you had goals, you wanted to accomplish your goals, basically. Yeah. Well, and you know, and I, I bring it back to the fact that, you know, I'm not saying that she, I'm not faulting her or for saying, or saying that she necessarily did it the wrong way. I think she did it the best that she knew how, but at the same time, I think that that's the purpose of all this, right? Finding the purpose in the pain. And, and if I'm able to learn from her experiences, then there's value in that. Just like I'm hope, hopeful that other people learn from mine. Yeah. So I got a question. When, how old was Tyler when you guys uh, got the call from Make-A-Wish? And tell us about that. Cause that was a really cool year that you broke. <laughs> Um, yeah, that was such an amazing thing. Um, so he was, let's see, it was a few months before he turned three. So we, we had been through, we'd been through chemotherapy and the failure of that and his amputation. And we were still in those phases where we were, 
watching very closely, he still had his port in and everything. So um, he was getting, you know, checkups very routinely. And um, it was, uh, so it was really for us such a nice kind of, you know, uh, such a such a just a refreshing experience because everything about cancer to that point had just been bad, you know, like all of it's bad, 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 bad. And then um, so to have this like make a wish experience where um, all of the community just came together to just express their love and joy for this child's life, you know, that just for him to be here, to still be here and have made it through that. Um, it was just an incredible thing. And I think, you know, so just even the offer of it, like when they said, you know, do you think that Tyler would be interested in doing a make-a-wish and, and, you know, would you be willing be, uh, consider applying for a make-a-wish? Um, then, you know, it kind of, we didn't tell Tyler about it. It was a complete and total surprise. So it was almost like this secret thing, you know, that we got to help be a part of, <laughs> of, cool. of knowing it was coming, but we had no idea. I mean, it was really, we had no idea what the day was, was really going to look like when it came. I mean, it was just so much bigger and more magical than I could have imagined. Man, that's awesome. What does a uh, see me mean? So see me like you see me. Yeah. <laughs> so you see me has become like my my go to statement, like my 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 mantra. It it helps me when I'm feeling really overwhelmed, and so I think a lot of the times um, it it it's also representative of my relationship with God now. Because, you know, going through everything that I went through, I was one of those people who felt like you may, you know, like while it, and I still do believe to an extent, you know, like we have control over a certain amount of control over our environment. We can't control everything, but we can control what we do. And so we can be, we can try hard. We can be driven. We can challenge ourselves. And, you know, all of that is necessary. But also I, when I was younger, I just felt like that was all that mattered. And I think what cancer taught me is that even the best laid plans sometimes get uprooted and you have to figure out what comes, you know, you have to figure out what comes next. And if you do that all by yourself, if you're trying to figure out what's supposed to happen next and you feel like you don't have control over anything, then, you know, you're going to be you're, you're going to be very disappointed. You're going to be very overwhelmed. And so what I found is uh, trying to align myself with God sometimes when I'm just overwhelmed and just can give it to him. It has um, been what, what saves me, you know, and I, I think that um, it's humbling, but it's true that I'm going to do the best I can and I'm going to show up, but sometimes I have to give the rest to God. And so when I say you see me, it means, you know, God, you are the, I, I can't control the situation. You are in charge of my situation. And I have learned that over and over. Every time I think I'm in control, <laughs> I'm reminded that I in fact am not. 
And then, um, you know, and, and so I need you to help me. And then C to me means, um, you know, I think God sees us even in a way that we don't see ourselves. And sometimes, um, we don't see all of our situation and definitely nobody else does not, you know, they don't see us and and our abilities. And I think sometimes we even don't see all of the, the talents and the abilities that he's gifted us with that we can use to help ourselves in our own situation. Um, but you know, like the Bible says that, um, you know, God knows the desires of our hearts. So even if, if we're not sure exactly, sometimes we're not even sure that we know what we want. (laughs) So if, if, if he sees us even in a way that we can't see ourselves, then, um, how important that is, uh, for, for him to be able to rescue us in the way that we need rescued. And, um, and then me just, you know, just all of me, just, I think it's the, the one place where we can just really let all of our guard down and just say, you know, like you don't expect anything from me in return. You're going to love me unconditionally. And, and where else do I get that? And, um, and if, if, and I have to trust you and believe that you, you really, even though my, my situation may seem very difficult or may seem hopeless that you do intend what's best for me. And I think in each of those, those words or in each of those situations, I have to go to the Bible and just say, you know, where's the truth in this? Because I'm so analytical and I get, I can definitely get caught up in, in trying to rationalize or justify situations sometimes. And, and it just doesn't make sense. You know, childhood cancer doesn't make sense. And, um, a lot of the things that we deal with are, you know, the cruelty and the violence in the world and the financial, um, disparities and just all of these things that we haven't gotten figured out yet don't make sense. But what I can figure out is that if we have a truth and this world is actually temporary and God has plans for a future for us, whether that's here on earth or whether it's later, then we're going to be okay. So have you always been faith-based? Um, not, not totally. Mm-hmm. I will say I've always been in church. Okay. So my grandmother, my grandmother was probably one of the most definitely spiritually sound ladies I've ever met. She was selfless and just so tapped in. I think I, I just had, she just had such a peace about her and I think I could always go to her with anything um, that I needed that gave me worry. And she just had so much wisdom about her and she just loved God so much. And, um, so I know that that exposure has been important in my walk, but at the time, I think, um, I knew what the, I saw religion more as like rules and not necessarily as relationship. And I think, um, especially in the time where I was like in college and had Tyler, like, I just thought that being a good part, like God would protect us from bad things happening if we were a good person and we weren't hurting anybody else. And we were trying to be, you know, like a contributive 
member to society and we went to church and, you know, like as long as you did checked your boxes, that that's what was, what would, that would be enough. And I think that those boxes now don't even really, they're, most of them aren't even significant and it really boils down to the relationship. And that's not something that I've, I've always had. That's something that I've learned going through the hard stuff. Okay. Uh, what do Todd and Don mean to you? So Todd and Don were my inspiration story. Um, they were, um, and, and ironically enough, um, they had, they were one of those, uh, one of those people that, um, lost their child. So, you know, sometimes you say, how does, you know, how can you be encouraged from a story where, you know, you feel like, you know, from some angles, they didn't win exactly, but they, uh, Todd was a police officer with Billy. Um, when I was pregnant with Tyler, um, I think it was, uh, they had lost their son. Um, he was also a patient at St. Jude. And um, when I remember when Tyler got sick, you know, they really reached out and were just so loving and so caring. Um, and I just remember thinking like, how can you be so strong and courageous after you've experienced such a loss? And, um, and they still are, they continue to encourage. They are two of the strongest people that I know. Um, they're incredibly resilient. They've went through other things. Todd had a lung transplant. Um, they, uh, have another son. They had another son and, you know, they continue to remember Shay. They continue to help other people. And, um, you know, seeing that they could get through that type of loss and still find joy and still find the ability and the strength to help other people made me think that, um, um, you know, if God's plan was that this didn't turn out the way that I wanted it to, that there was still life after that. And I had to be at peace with that. That's a, that's a strong message. What, uh, can you talk about your father leaving and his adoption and seeing things from somebody else's perspective? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's been interesting. Um, we've even had very, uh, within the last six months, we've had more, I guess we've talked about it more than we ever have, um, in my life about his experiences and, and his perspective going through adoption and, and his relationship with my, what I need to be my grandparents. Um, and it's very interesting to hear his side because um, when my dad was young, he was, um, you know, five or six when he was adopted and he grew up in a home that was, um, his, uh, from what I understand, um, he had a very loving mother, um, but they, he was the youngest of eight kids, I think. And the, wow. so the, the old, yeah. So his oldest brother was almost, 
uh, let's see, when my dad was five, he probably was like 18 or something and, um, or, or close to 18. And so, um, what happened, my understanding is what happened was that, um, you know, his mom passed away and his dad, um, maybe was or wasn't abusive, but, um, remarried to a woman who was, and, um, and so, you know, my dad got taken out of the home and, um, ended up, you know, getting placed and all of this and, uh, was eventually, I don't think too long after that adopted by, um, you know, what I knew to be my grandparents. And, um, so what I know now is that, um, you know, especially in that fragile time, like being losing your mom, being removed from an abusive environment, and then being taken away from all of your brothers and sisters, that was like his safe place. You know, those are the people who loved him. And those are the people he'd grown up with for the last, you know, his whole, his life, all that's all he knew. Um, and then, so they, you know, did not allow him to have contact with his family um, for his for his protection, you know, they were protecting him and they didn't want him to be put back into this environment. But, um, when I was 12 years old, my dad's biological brother, he was a, um, like a, a, a lieutenant or something at this, at the Chicago police department, um, found my dad. And so he reached out to us and, arranged for us to meet them. And so my dad was reconnected with his family. And I think after that, he changed a lot. And, um, you know, so I talked to my dad about it recently and, you know, it's, of course it's his story to tell, but from what I gather is that he felt in a lot of ways that even though the environment that he lived wasn't good, that he kind of had one life that just, um, you know, like a life that he missed out on, like family that he should have been connected to that he loved and they loved him that wasn't able to be a part of his life anymore. And I think that was very hard for him and it made other connections in his life difficult. So, you know, whereas my thought is there's no way on earth I could ever do anything that would jeopardize my ability to see my boys or be with them. And I felt like he was choosing a, a different path, you know, when he, and my mom divorced, it meant that he divorced us too. Um, I thought even if it was because of my mom or whatever situation happened, like, how could you choose, how could you risk our relationship? Like, why wouldn't we be the most important thing to you? And then now what I realize is that wasn't his experience either. He wasn't the most important thing to his family or his parents. So maybe he didn't understand like that, that could be, you know, that that's the way it should be. So, you know, like being able to talk through some of those things that really hurt him deeply, um, has helped me have more empathy and more forgiveness for, um, the way that our relationship was for a long time. And I've come to appreciate that he's human too. And he had things that he had to work out and it didn't have anything to do with me. I just kept happened to kind of be a, a victim or a bystander 
um, to what was happening. But we're actually, you know, we talk pretty regularly now and we're getting pretty close. So that's great. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of times we don't look at stuff from other people's eyes and we only see it from our own. And, you know, sometimes it's like if somebody does something to you, you hold up resentment towards that person, but they moved on with their life because it doesn't mean anything to them. It didn't affect them the same way. So it's like you just have to sometimes not take everything so personal. Um, But yeah, it it goes both ways. But, you know, like I said, sometimes you just have to sit back and think like, what happened to this person? Why are they this way? Why they act this way? Maybe that's why they treat other people a certain way. You know? Like a learned behavior? Well, yeah, it's like uh, like if if I did something to you, it may have been something that happened to me in the past, or I don't know how to deal with the stuff that happened to me in the past, so I just close myself off to people, you know. But Yeah, I um I think that it helps to prevent us from harboring so much resentment or angry feelings when we feel like we've been wronged. And, you know, one of the things that I say in my book is, you know, bad things happen to all people and it either happens really one of three ways. You see it as it was your fault. (laughs) It was somebody else's fault or it was like bad luck or God's fault is how people see it. Right. So I think that when it's one of those you know, one of the hardest things to get over when we feel like it's someone else's fault is because there then comes this element of we have to choose to forgive them. And I think if you can potentially see that it might not have actually been about you, then, and you don't take it so personally, then it makes, then you realize like you, it's almost um, like you don't have to forgive because then it wasn't against you. It was just something that happened and it then becomes, you know, something that happened and not necessarily, even if it was still their fault, I'm just saying like, even if it was still their fault, at least it's not an action directed specifically against you. And so we don't have to feel so defensive. Yeah. Cause I I know you recall and, or I recall you saying that that whole part of your life was the broken trust part. Yeah, Absolutely. So, um, I know you said you got fired from a job and the way you describe it kind of makes me think the way I think about something, when something happens, it's like, they're kind of pushing you in the direction you should have been going a long time ago sometimes. Absolutely. And you know, and I think that, uh, I like to say, I like to say that, you know, God has, um, works through a divine intervention and divine introduction. Sometimes introduction is opening is, you know, that's about placing people in our life to open new doors and intervention is sometimes closing a door that we think we should still be in. Yeah. <laughs> we should still be going through and we can't see it because, you know, it goes back to our plan versus his plan. And I think sometimes something makes sense like to us, like, this is the path I should be going on. This action should equal this result. That's what makes sense. But then we get so frustrated when it doesn't work out that way. But if we just allow, you know, some, 
if we just allow ourselves to realize that sometimes what's coming is better than what we had planned, then it's easier to digest. And that's totally what happened with me in that circumstance. And it's, it's completely what's happened to me over. I feel like it happens, you know, there's been lots of examples of, (laughs) of times where things didn't go how I planned, but then, you know, God allowed new experiences and new relationships and new opportunities to come that I didn't expect. And that wouldn't have been there if I had just kept going on the same path that I had planned on. Yeah. It's kind of also like when you about to quit a job and you go tell them and they're like, oh, wait, wait, we'll give you so much more money. So I'm not, <laughs> I'm not worth anything more until I tell you I'm going to quit and then you're going to offer me more money. Like, so maybe I should go ahead and quit and see what else is out there. So maybe those people will pay me my worth, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's, it's, yeah, because you you want to feel, you definitely, um, you you want it to be best you want it to be best case scenario for you wherever you are for sure. And and being appreciated and being valued um, for what you contribute contribute is, is definitely top notch importance. Can I ask you a question? So how hard was it to become a doctor? Um, well, so, you know, full disclosure, I'm a, Doctor of pharmacy, not a medical doctor, but, but I mean, still a doctor. It's but, a doctor. Yes, doctor. <laughs> I know. Yes, Doctor Jones. You. Thank you. Dr. There's Jones. actually there used to be this blog called, or no, it was like a, it was before blogs. It was, uh, like a, and and before memes. I f- I forget what it's called. A vine. It was vines. Oh yeah. <laughs> you remember when I had vines? <laughs> so it was called. I prefer you call me doctor, and it was all like these funny vines about pharmacists that, you know, want to be called doctor because it depends on what setting you're in as to whether you actually get the kudos that you earned. Right. And, um, so, uh, because a lot, you know, like, especially in retail, like most, most retail settings, they don't even allow you to put doctor on your nameplate above the pharmacy or on your, your tag that you wear on your jacket. So Hmm. it's only your first name. It's really kind of sad. So, because they're, they're definitely healthcare providers and they, they provide a a very important service. So, um, but it was, you know, I knew that it would be challenging um, to do, especially with a small child, but um, you know, I think it goes back to you're capable of what you believe that you're capable of. And, um, and at first, like when I was doing my double major at Union and, and I wanted to, I wanted to do an MD, uh, PhD. That's what like, or an MD PharmD, either one, because that's what a lot of the, you know, a lot of the researchers would do there at St. Jude. When I did my summer there, I worked with a lot of dual doctorate, uh, professors and, um, and so I was like, oh, yeah, I'm getting two doctorates for sure. And so that's what I want to do. So when I originally got pregnant or when I originally had Tyler, my thought was that, OK, well, I'm going to get my pharmacy degree first because I think that that will be in terms of like time and demand less intense for me than the medical degree will be. So I'll do my pharmacy degree first and then I'll do my medical degree. But then what happened, of course, is after Tyler got cancer, it I was so emotionally wrung out. I think I was just so tired by the end of the, of the four years that I was like, okay, I, I, I just have to, I have to do something else that I feel like I'm good at already and not more learning. So I decided to go ahead and go into practice after 
um, gaining my degree. And so I went into uh, retail management and I really liked being a manager. I felt like a mama to all the people that worked for me. And um, actually, I was probably the youngest, well, one of the younger ones, but I was still the, I was still the mama hen. I just, I really loved like taking care of everybody else and helping or make things organized and right and helping customers. And, and then I went more into administration. I moved in, into the hospital setting and I pursued my MBA. So when I got my MBA, I started that program uh, two months, two months, three months, just a few months after my third baby was born. So I had Easton when I was turning 30 and I started the MBA program right after that. And I was working full time. And so, again, if you're out there, ladies, gentlemen, whatever, if you, you know, something happens, you're at unexpected circumstances, you can still do it. You can still do it. If there's something that you want, you can do it. But you have to be smart. You can't be, you can't be <laughs> dummy. You can't be a dummy and pregnant and expect to do all the things Dr. Jones has done. Okay. So let's get real. <laughs> I do have one question about the, how do you, how do the people that are actual doctors feel about the people that are like, dentists? <laughs> no, not dentists, but like, People that uh, like get a like a teaching degree that like call themselves doctor. Oh, like a PhD. Does that burn PhD you guys up a little English? bit? <laughs> like you're not really a doctor. Like those are the people that should not be calling themselves doctors, in my opinion. Yeah, if you're not in the medical field and you have a doctorate. <laughs> well, who are you fooling? Say that working in industry and working more with um, people who are PhDs that went through the research path mm. and they got their doctorate in research. Um, they are some of the most smartest, just impressive people that I have ever met. It's just amazing, like the the type of um, the knowledge that they retain. And they're just so fat. Like a lot of times they, I feel like they're just so, you know, they read data and they're just like, oh, yeah. And they can just like spout off the data and they don't have to like even look at it again. I just feel like they're just so smart. But then um I was so surprised by like a lot of the steps that this PhDs have to go through to actually get their PhD. So, you know, like the whole dissertation thing and they have to do this, um, they have to do a certain amount of research, I guess, and they have to actually get published, I think, before they can basically like, you know, leave the nest of their researcher mentor person. Like you have to, in order to get your doctorate and like have your own lab, you have to actually be published or something so it's like not at ease like it's really a hard thing and like I I had no idea it was so challenging like in pharmacy school you kind of like you know you go the path just like medical school like as long as you do everything they tell you to do and you're not dumb and you study there you go that's the key (laughs) that's the key then you get to do it you know you get to be that but then like you actually have to come up with smart things when you're in research and it has to work out for you for you to continue to get funding and be able to do your dissertation get your degree so it's like Rhonda. oh yeah dan's Dan's wife wife. yeah but i was i was more talking about like english people that uh (laughs) call themselves doctors i think they're a joke yeah 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 just stop (laughs) yeah we don't need any of that anymore so what would your advice be for people that you know just are down on luck or anything like what is your advice for the class of 2020 how about that okay um i would say uh oh goodness 
I would say, uh, be brave enough to be real with real with yourself. Like, I think sometimes we spend so much time, like trying to figure out like who we want to be or who we're supposed to be that we don't really give ourselves the time to figure out who we actually are. And I think that's sad. I think, uh, don't just spend your life trying to be like somebody else or what you perceive yourself that you should be, you know, recognize what do you really like? What are your talents? Don't let that be defined by someone else's opinion or someone else's projection onto you. Um, I think, um, never, if there's something that you really want, um, don't, don't ever think that life is getting in the way. You just acknowledge like, this is what life looks like. What do I, what can I change? What can I change? And, um, you know, how do I make those pieces fit together to work for me? Everyone's life doesn't look the same. So, you know, your scenario is not going to look like everyone else's that happened to be next to you, even in your same environment. Um, you have to figure out how to make it work for you and, and that, and you work hard and you do that. And I would say, don't lose faith. And I think for me, you know, having belief in, you know, like how I feel like having a belief that there is something greater beyond this world, like gives me hope that I, that this can't be the end, you know, like even when my day is really bad, I'm, I'm striving for something bigger. I'm striving for something different outside of this day. And, um, and I think that keeps me encouraged in a lot of ways and uh, be grateful, you know, even in a bad situation, start counting, count your blessings. I know that's like, so such a trivial thing, but like we have so many things that we can be grateful for. And if you ever doubt that, you know, just really start looking around, you know, like just drive down the street. You can probably see people who are homeless. You can see a pediatric cancer hospital. You can see a nursing home where people don't may not have anyone to come and visit them. You know, like everywhere you look, there's someone in a difficult situation. So never get down on yourself, you know, figure out how do you make your situation better? And you know what? help other people because sometimes it just makes you feel better even just to help someone else smile, just to share a word of encouragement, give someone a compliment, whatever it is, it can be the smallest thing, opening the door for someone else. Sometimes it will, you know, just be what you need to remind, remind yourself that, you know, humanity isn't, isn't all bad. That's a great message. Can you tell us about your uh, company you and Tyler co-founded together? Yes, it is called the Drifted Drum Company. So it came about as I was in the process of publishing my book and I really wanted to, I was trying to decide, um, you know, as a family, I wanted it to be something that we all agreed on, you know, because I divulge a lot about uh, things that we've went through in our dynamics, you know, all together. And so it's something that I wanted all of us, like, you know, even, you know, Billy and the boys, all of them to feel comfortable with. And um, so we talked about why I was sharing my message and what I hope to get out of it and how it impacted all of us. And, um, you know, it all came down to encouragement. And so when we thought about 
possible names for what this like publishing umbrella would be because I decided that because I wanted to share as soon as possible in the ways that I want to share and not change my message that I would, I decided that I would self-publish. So I formed my own publishing company called the Drifted Drum Company and I, you know, got it licensed and all of that. So um, we decided on the Drifted Drum Company because Tyler said that he wanted to be a part, you know, he was a part of the story, He, you know, and he wanted to also encourage other people in his own way. So he started his own t-shirt designs. He did an apparel line. And, um, and we, the reason we landed on the name is because um, drifted, meaning that we've, so the definition of drifted is that you've ended up in a place due to external forces pushing you there. So I feel like even though we have been driven to push forward, we're not in the place that we originally planned to be. We're not the people we originally planned to be. I think we've had external forces move us around a little bit. Um, So we're, you know, so drifted from that. And then drum being just something that you can empty out and fill back up. And, you know, we've been emptied out we felt empty due to difficult circumstances. Um, and, you know, God fills us back up. We've been emptied out because we've poured into other people and to lift them up and encourage them. And he fills us back up again. And so that's where the drifted drum came from. And, you know, I think the events that we have to, um, to really help connect people to other people that they can continue to be filled up when they're empty is just super, super important. Um, principle to carry on outside of, you know, with us every single day. Wow. Yeah. You've done a lot. <laughs> you've done a lot of stuff. That's amazing. That is really amazing. I'm glad you shared yep. your story with us. Thank you for sharing. Thank uh, you for having me. Where can everybody find you online and your books and all that good jazz? So my book is pretty much anywhere you can find books. Um, I have an audible version in case you're not sick of hearing me talk uh, by now. (laughs) 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 Um, So my audible version is on, of course, like Apple, I think. So Apple has an audio, um, Amazon audible. And then um, I uh, it's, it's of course on Apple, it's on Kindle, it's on, Amazon. It's uh, on, I think, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, Walmart, Target. All of those retailers have me online. Wow. Goodness. And, I thought uh, you were going to say Amazon. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Everyone getting that? <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, so, but you can also, you can buy an author signed copy of my book on the Drifted Drum, uh, the Drifted Drum Company.com. Oh, no, no. I'm sorry. That's wrong. The drifted just the drifted And so it has my book. It actually has, I have a companion journal for e-download that's available. And, um, Tyler has all of his apparel on there. It's really cool. They're all like nature inspired, just images that like he's put together that he, you know, kind of gives his vibe. It's like a, a, a peaceful kind of nature, um, vibe that he has and then because he loves like outdoors and camping and climbing and just the beach and all of that and then um what else is on there I have a no mess no message shirt that goes along with my book and 
Uh, so it's really great, uh, great stuff on there for gifts, like definitely very encouraging gifts. And um, especially for new graduates, they need, I think, um, sharing that message of resilience to, to someone who maybe hasn't had major adversity yet to just kind of hear someone else's story of something that happened when they were young and, and able to get through it. I think it's really important to remind these, uh, these young, these young folks now that we're getting, now they're getting on out there, remind these young folks that, uh, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's going to be bumps in the road for sure, but you can definitely drive over them. That's a great message. That is really good. So could you have anything in closing you want to tell everybody? Like just, uh, something you want to leave people with? Um, so let's see. I will say, um, let me think, you know, I will say, I want to just say, don't beat yourself up. People (laughs) don't beat yourself up. We're not perfect. I think, um, if you wake up today and you feel like you've been the best you that you can be today, then that is good enough. And, you know, tomorrow, God willing, you're going to get another chance to do it over again. So, you know what? Today I woke up and I um, had coffee with a friend. I played with a puppy. I had lunch with the boys. You know, I did lots of work <laughs> for my my actual job. I did work, um, you know, and but did I get a workout in? No. Did I eat healthy? I did eat a salad. I did eat a salad. So I'm going to reward myself for that. But you know what? I, um, there are things that I can improve every single day, but what I've, but I've learned to give myself grace. And I think that it's, I've been a much happier person because, um, I haven't like tried to put myself in a box. So I know that it's easy to compare yourself so much to people when we spend so much time online and we're seeing these filtered and photoshopped photos all the time. And it seems like everyone is living their best life on, you know, like on quarantine because that's the only pictures that we post are good ones, but do not feel like you are less worthy. Don't feel like you're um, less talented. Your talents and your worth might look a little different than theirs, but believe me, you are wonderful just the way God created you. So do not give yourself a hard time. I appreciate it. That's a great message. That is really good. Do you have anything for Harrell? No, I'm looking at the website and it's awesome. I saw the I hat. Love, I, I, I love I wanna, the hat. Yeah, yeah I uh, want to order I the hat. Saw, um, I love the logo. Did Tyler create that or did you? Yeah, it was a joint. We spent a whole weekend. <laughs> 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 Tyler, can sit next to me for two minutes. <laughs> You know what? He's been so involved. I tell you that at the beginning of this, I thought that, you know, I was definitely thinking that thinking I was going to be mom in it. Right. I was like, okay, he's going to, I'm going to say, Tyler, work on your designs and send them, you know, to the artist. And actually, so actually the artist is my mom. My mom's also skilled at graphic art. Yeah. And so I was like, awesome. you know, send them to Nana and, you know, like, and you guys work it out. And so the first time that I got a message back, it was a joint message. And mom was like, okay, so here's what I came up with, with your idea, Tyler. So what do you want to do? What do you think about this color? Or what do you think about that? Or what kind of shirt? And you know what, before I was on a work call or doing something. So I like checked my message and before I could respond, he had already sent her 
the comfort colors item number that he wanted as his shirt. He sent her, no, I don't like that color. I want it like this. Like he was just owning it. So I've been so proud of him because like of all of his shirt designs, I've literally have nothing to do with any of that except for like just making sure things happen. And um, he's done all of the designing. He's done all of the feedback. So he's been a little boss man. I've been proud of him. I, I guess I've taught him a little something. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what is your social? So people can find you on like uh, Facebook or Instagram. <laughs> I thought you're like, what's your social? I was like, I don't give that out of the podcast. <laughs> I was like, now we're getting too personal. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so on Instagram, I'm at livebeautiful underscore Dr. Mom. And um, Tyler is at Tyler G. Jonesy. So he put a nice little while on the end of Jonesy. Thought that was snazzy. Tyler G. Jonesy. And he's on Instagram and he's on Snapchat. I do have a Snapchat. I'm almost embarrassed to tell y'all. This is... T- so <laughs> it's not like risque or anything, but it goes to show you like I was an early adopter of the Snapchat and then I never learned how to use it. I actually got a sweet in Southern, sweet and Southern. It's my Snapchat. So if anyone out there is like trying to brand and you want to pay me for my Snapchat, I might be willing to sell it <laughs> because I don't use it and it's super awesome. Um, and then you I'll see. So uh, Dr. April Jones and the Drifted Drum Company are both on Facebook. And I have an at the Drifted Drum Co. on Instagram as well. So I know you boys will post the links on there for me. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, no doubt. Yeah, I'll put the link in the description. And I do a newsletter. If you sign, if you go to our Drifted Drum Company website, uh, you can sign up for our newsletter. And I send out like not too often. I don't like to inundate people's inbox, especially nowadays where we're only online. But um, I send some like motivational things when I feel inspired to do so. So maybe that'll help encourage you. And we take prayer requests if you want to send me a prayer request, or also like if you want to share like a really cool situation where you've been, you know, like able to find purpose in your pain. Um, I think I'm going to do some newsletters where we kind of share some tidbits, like some small stories about encouraging stories of other people, because it's not just, not just about us. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. We'll definitely put all the links in the description on um, Spotify and iTunes and all that good jazz. But like I said, I, I appreciate you doing it and not going to tie you up anymore. We, we caught up, you know, a lot of your time so far. So. Oh, it's, it's, it's all good when you're talking to friends. I appreciate it so much. All righty. All right. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Thanks. Bye. All right. Uh, So you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and all the podcast platforms. And uh, we love you lots. Bye.